to continue in the series that we've been studying on the restoration of the church. And we've got a couple more weeks that we're going to do in this series that I want to just stress the, the importance of the need that you and I never drift. I think there's, a, there's an, an element of the workings of sin in the world and in ourselves, as well as our own laziness, as well as our own pride, that causes us or allows us to drift without admitting that we're drifting. You know, we're doing a class we've done before, uh, teaching reforming marriage. The very title gives away somewhat of a need, reforming marriage. Well, why does marriage need to be reformed? Well, because we drift from where we were supposed to be to where we are. And so we need to go back to look and consider what is God's ideas in that category. Well, that's what we're doing with this study as well. We're considering what does the Bible present to us about the church, about what the church was supposed to be, about what God had in mind from the beginning, and to consider have we drifted from that place to where we're practicing something a little bit differently than what God had in mind. And let's, let's get the focus back on what God desired for His church to be, and let's move back in that direction. And so we'll, we'll never drift, uh, I guess is a good way to say it, from having to analyze our own drifting and consider where repentance is needed, where change is needed, where biblical ideas need to replace modern ones or ones that have just come into our heads through default. Today, I'm going to talk about the role of restoring the pillar and support of the truth. That's the title for today, Restoring the Pillar and support of the truth. And it comes from the text in Timothy that we're going to look at in a moment, where the church is described as the pillar and the support of the truth. So the thing that we're supposed to be upholding in the world in which we're placed, in the very church that we walk together with, is the truth. That's what we're under obligation to uphold with our lives, with our teaching, with what we share with others, with the, the values that we're living out. But we know what I want to highlight today is because when the Bible starts talking about truth, there's a lot of warning passages in the Bible. Apparently, if you get this area wrong, you're going to drift into all kinds of problems. And in the Bible, we see this, this principle about truth and freedom. You find this in the Bible. But, you know, you find it all over the place. You find it in the country in which we live today. There's a a great deal of truth and freedom kind of bound together in the fabric of what made our nation, what formed our nation. Remember years ago, uh, I don't think people think this through anymore, but if you go back and listen to some of the old songs, you ever get one of those patriotic albums or something? Albums, man, that just dated me, didn't it? One of those patriotic CDs or something. Uh, yeah, some of y'all are so old, you didn't even get that I was just dating myself when I did that. You were so with me. Um, but songs like the Battle Hymn of the Republic, right? My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has trampled down the vineyards where the grapes of wrath are stored. Now, do you know what that's about? You know, when you listen to that and you're, you're standing in, you know, wherever you're standing, in some museum or you're standing in some national place where it's, you know, it's right to sing those patriotic songs, but, you know, they're singing about the wrath of God. And then, and then it goes on, and, it's, and the title of it is the Battle Hymn of the Republic. You know, it's a song you sing when you go into battle. This is a war song. But it's interesting, the song goes on. You know, His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. 
these songs about freedom and our freedom, which have concepts of truth that are married into them. So the world even recognizes that truth and freedom are related. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you some thoughts here in just a moment about truth and freedom. But you know, the Bible supports this idea that truth and freedom are related. You will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. And, you know, whether you and I have ever thought about this or not, ultimately, what is man after ultimately? Ultimately, man wants to be free. However you break it down, the quest in life, you know, whether you're hearing commercials from when you've grown up to the day of financial freedom, the day that you retire and there's financial freedom. You know, you want to be free from worrying about how to pay your bills, so you start putting a little bit away in a retirement account, so one day you can have financial freedom. Uh, and if it's not that kind of freedom, it's freedom from fear and anxiety and worrying about tomorrow and what's going to happen, how to, how to deal with things in life. Or it's freedom from obsessions, you know, obsessing over appearance or over significance or uh, obsessions of, of insecurity and jealousy about what others, you know. And there's all kinds of material out there to address these things, obsessions and, and lusts. People want to be free from lust. Wanting more all the time and just being driven by having to have more and cravings that are in our lives. And so there's all kinds of self-help books out there. You know, all the, the proliferation of talk shows. You know, there's one right after another, even if some of them have a little bit of a comedic element to it. They take on real life issues in some attempt to bring sense to how do you deal with getting free? It's about freedom. And that's what people ultimately are after. And whether the world recognizes that or not, you and I know that's the case. People are trying to get free from stuff in their life, from their past, from broken relationships, from the way they were talked to when they were younger, from uh, failures that have gone on, from guilt. Well, how do you get free? Well, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, the Bible says that freedom and truth are related. And truth is spoken of so highly when you look in the Scriptures. Proverbs 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. And whatever you do in your life, make sure you buy truth. And don't ever part with it. It's the most valuable thing you can lay hold of. Well, we, we've talked, every time we've talked about the Restoration Series, about looking at the snapshots of, of the family album, of what was the first century church like in these categories. Well, in the category of truth, we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this, this great explosion of God's taking place. 3,000 have been saved on the day of Pentecost. And then there's a description of what their lives are like. And in chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. There was this ongoing devotion in their life to the truth. They wanted to learn the truth. They wanted to lay hold of the truth. They were sitting under the teaching and the presentation of the truth. And then later on, about 30 years or so later, we get the Apostle Paul writing these words to, to Timothy in First Timothy. He says, but in case I'm delayed, 
verse 15, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So years later, where these folks have been devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine and the teaching, now Paul is writing to them and saying, you're the pillar and support of the truth. That's what you're about. And all this is simply an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed. And Jesus' great prayer, which really is in John chapter 17, where he prays for his own. And he prays for how we would be in the world. He prays for our protection. And you remember this prayer that he prays. He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So all over Scripture, and we're going to look, take a careful look today, we're going to see that the Bible spells out for us what truth is. This, this concept of freedom and truth, it's not up for grabs. You know, I appreciate the battle hymn of the Republic, but it's interesting that the battle hymn of the Republic has maintained its life without connecting it to God any longer. It's about a nation and all that the nation went through so that the nation could become free. You know, the minute you detach your freedom from who God is, you're not talking about the truth and the freedom that the Bible is talking about anymore. And that's where you and I get into some real confusion and where I hope today will bring some clarity of what the church is supposed to be believing. What it is that you and I are supposed to be defending, upholding, living in our lives. It's not just a gathering of ideas. Today, you come in contact with the idea that truth is, is a bunch of ideas. It's a collection of thought. And, and anybody can lay hold of it out there. It's like there's this, this um, it's not a sectarian belief about truth. It's just something that anybody can lay hold of the truth. And if you, know, if you lay hold of the truth, the truth will make you free. And that's a common thought. If you look through, I uh, did a little search on Amazon.com and looked at some of the books that they had available for you to buy on truth. Here's a, here's a book called Truth. A History and a Guide for the Perplexed. This fellow writing in the book, they give you a little brief description. He says, the pursuit of truth, says the author, is the quest for language that can match reality. He identifies four key methods for determining the truth. Okay, here's his suggestions on how to determine the truth. What we feel. <laughs> I, just, I just saved you a few dollars, didn't I? You don't have to... You won't have to rush out and buy this book. <laughs> what we feel, what we are told, what we figure out, and what we observe. It's a book that you can buy about how to determine the truth. If you do a search on Amazon.com for the truth will set you free, you won't just find the Bible. You'll find 31 books that they're selling right now. Here's one of them. 17 lies that are holding you back and the truth that will set you free. And 17 lies is a brilliant set of principles essential for people to function at their best, overcome personal obstacles, right? This is freedom, right? Overcoming things and achieve their heart's desire. With deftly told stories and personal examples, Chandler says that true independence and self-esteem comes from what we do, not what others give us or tell us. While recovery issues are not the focus, he encourages reworking childhood scripts and developing a habitual scrutiny of relationships that are causing trouble. He is most eloquent when drawing out the difference between happiness and pleasure and promoting attention to spiritual and non-rational influences. 
The program will give the listener courage to find the truth in their experiences and the freedom they were meant to enjoy. See, freedom and truth go hand in hand, even in the world. The truth will set you free is another one. Overcoming emotional blindness and finding your true adult self. In The Truth Will Set You Free, Miller returns to the intensely personal tone and themes of her best-loved work. Only by embracing the truth of our past histories can any of us hope to be free of pain in the present. Miller uses vivid true stories to reveal the perils of early childhood mistreatment and the dangers of mindless obedience to parental will. Drawing on the latest research on brain development, she shows how spanking and humiliation produce dangerous levels of denial, which leads in turn to emotional blindness and to mental barriers that cut off awareness and the ability to learn new ways of acting. If this cycle repeats itself, the grown child will, per will perpetrate the same abuse on later generations. A message vitally important, especially given the increasing popularity of programs like Tough Love, and of child disciplinarians like James Dobson. And this is a person trying to unravel life and tell you the truth will set you free. If you just get a hold of what they're talking about, then there's going to be some freedom. Wisdom of the ages, a modern master, brings eternal truth into everyday life. This book reads like a worship, a workshop rather, on what the masters can teach you. Author Wayne Dyer offers wisdom taught by the world's great teachers, such as Buddha, Jesus, Confucius, Michelangelo, and Emily Dickinson. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's an interesting list, isn't it? Uh, and then provides an easy-to-digest interpretation for modern readers. So we're, we're left with this question. The church is the pillar and support of the truth, but what's the truth? And I'm going to part with the idea, although the Bible would hold out using the word true in the sense of a comparison word. That there are things that are true, there are things that are false out there. But when it comes to truth, and you'll see today, what the Bible is overwhelmingly pointing at is not the idea that there's some generic body of knowledge or information out there that one can just reach into. And if one reaches into that knowledge and grabs the right information and puts it in their life, that will produce freedom. The Bible doesn't teach that. So let's look a little bit at what the Bible does teach about this concept of truth. First, in the Bible, truth is a person in Scripture. And it is about a person. So when you and I encounter the word and the concept of truth, it is a person and it is about a person. Let's look at a few scriptures together here and I'll put in your outline. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus identifies himself as the truth. I am the truth. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, it was the person of Christ who is the living Word of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. You see, all this stuff is knit together when we look at these passages. And so the person of Christ who is the Word of God is the truth. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. 
grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, through the person of who he is. First John 5:20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. See, the emphasis on Scripture is on the person, not just on some information. Revelation 19:11. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. The person is faithful and true. So now this, this becomes critical because all of us in this room, outside of this room, throughout this city, throughout the nation, throughout the world, are all interested in the byproduct of truth. And that is freedom. We all want to be set free. From those things that are hindering our life, boxing us in, making us feel a certain way, having weighing heavily upon us. But how does one find freedom? Well, in these passages, we find out that truth sets us free. Truth is a person. And it is about that person. And I think we could substitute <coughs> the truth and freedom elements together in that thought I mentioned earlier. Truth is a person in Scripture. Well, freedom is a person in Scripture as well. And freedom is about that person. So if you want to be free, then somehow it's going to have something to do with the person of Christ and what he did. Look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So we learn the Bible says the truth will set you free. Then it says Christ sets us free. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Ultimately, I think that's what freedom is. It's that place where your soul is at rest. Where it's at peace with all that goes on, with things that don't go right, things that did go right, things in your past. When your soul finds a place of rest and peace, I think that's what ultimately we're after when we talk about freedom. Second Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So when we look at the Bible and we find freedom, we don't find the Bible teaches the idea that freedom is accessible through getting certain information. We find that the information needs to be about a person, and the person sets us free. And the person comes in the form of the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So you and I, as promoters of freedom, which is why we promote the truth, because we want men and women to experience freedom. But we don't have a message, nor should the church ever have a message, that somehow has freedom without Christ or without coming to a place of conversion in Christ. Freedom is in the person who is truth, not in some abstract ideas labeled truth. And this is a critical distinction for Christianity. If you study religions in general, you're going to find that in general, they all have this in common. There's teaching about life, how it should be lived, who you are. And they present ideas and principles that you need to put into practice. So you take these principles, and this is true whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Islam, Judaism, or what I always call cultural Christianity. Not biblical Christianity, but cultural Christianity. In all those settings, there's ideas presented. You take your mind, you entertain those ideas, those facts. Some of them are facts. Some of them are accurate facts. 
you entertain those ideas, and then of your willpower and volition, you sum up all the power that you have to lay hold of those things and begin to practice them in your life in the attempt of becoming free and of living out these principles. Well, that's not Christianity. I mean, if you've been around Christianity, you know nowhere in the Bible does God say, here's some ideas. I'm going to set them over here. If you want them, come on over here and get them. I'm going to go sit down over here and see how well you do when you pick them up and do the thing. Now, you know, that's that's not Christianity. It is the law. It is the law in the Bible functions that way. God says, look, I'll write this down over here. You guys have a shot at it. I'll be sitting over here. When you get real frustrated and you can't do it, come let me know. And he does await for us to let the law be a tutor that leads us to, this is group participation, Christ. The law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. So it's interesting. It doesn't lead us to more information. You know, it's not like you, you learn the Ten Commandments. It frustrates you. You know you're not perfect and you fall short. It says, okay, now turn to page two and do what's on page two. It's a tutor that doesn't lead us to more information. It's a tutor that leads us to the truth who is a person. This has always been a battle. It's a battle today. It's been a battle throughout church history. It was a battle in the first century. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Much of the the New Testament is, is written having to counteract... This idea that it's just about what you know. Not about who you know, it's about what you know. In the first century, there was this movement called the Gnostics. Actually, it predates the first century, but it was really going and blowing when the first century church was trying to teach the truth. And so there was an emphasis on knowledge, on what you knew. On what you could lay hold of and you could learn from learned teachers and information. But the the Bible comes along and says, it's not about your information, it's about a person. And that's been the battle throughout church history. At different points in time, the church has had to counteract the culture rising up and saying that there's, there's certain data, certain information, if you'll just get a hold of it, that will do for you all that you need. Oh, the Bible. Well, you know, that's, that's it's antiquated. It's, it's really it's out of date. You know, the great age of enlightenment that began in the late 1800s to come. Uh, the age of enlightenment produced for us something that we're not aware, I guess, for most of us, where it comes from. The term the uh, fundamentalists. Right, today, you know, you know what a fundamentalist is? I don't know it's like a curse word in the news media. <clears throat> if you're a fundamentalist, you're just some idiot who doesn't think. Um, but fundamentalists came from the turn of the century, back to the 18 to the 1900s, where there was a group of, of ministers that were watching this enlightenment thing happen. You could see it happen. Actually, it was happening in, in, in England. Charles Spurgeon began to address it later in his life, where the ideas of man were eclipsing the ideas of the Bible. And so Christianity was trying to keep its shape and its form, but now it was coming under the influence of man's ideas that were beginning to shape it. So a group of ministers got together and wrote down what they called the fundamentals of the faith to keep the church from drifting from them. And those fundamentals were packaged together. Actually, you can, you can still purchase these published materials. And people who followed the fundamentals were called fundamentalists. And so later on in life, fundamentalists had certain characteristics, and the media jumped a hold of that, and now it means all kinds of things. But that's always been an issue here in the, fir- in the first century. We find in Colossians chapter 2, 
This is needing to be addressed. I want to show us how the direction here is not given so much to information as much as to a person. This section actually begins some thought earlier in chapter 1, verse 15. Speaking of Christ, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. It goes on and says that He might have the preeminence. He might. This is about a person. Now look in chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you... Received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Not just information you receive, but a person. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, here's the warning passages. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elementary, elemental spirits or principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now that it says not according to the information that you've received, not according to Christ. And the warning here is there's, there's options available to us. There's Christ and there's captivity. Those are the two options. There's freedom that comes from the truth revealed in Christ. There's captivity in the form of philosophy Human tradition. Now jump down a little further here because it's not just there. It's also organized religion. Verse, look in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are sh a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up, without reason, by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, remember, a person, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through his joints and ligaments, each joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Listen, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the lust of the flesh. Now here's an interesting concept. Here's a warning that says, you know what's available to you? Human philosophy is available to you. Traditions are available to you. Man-made religion is available to you. And they all end up in captivity. You want to be free? Those things won't free you. The freedom that's presented in these passages is in a person holding fast to the head. In being in Christ, being in him over and over and over again. The highlight is about the person who stood and said, I am the way and the truth. So when the church has a message that's going to help people be free, then you'd be very careful that it doesn't become some self-help message. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm editing right now, trying to see whether I want to say what. 
I haven't read this book, so I'm not going to tell you who it is. I've just glanced through it. Very popular TV personality has written a book, pastoral person, uh, seeing it promoted all over the place. And it's really about how you can become a better person. Very close to the title by saying that. <laughs> um, sort of, this is not the title. It's kind of like, be the best you ever, you know, kind of a thing. So, you know, I've heard this person speak. They, they, they don't exegete Scripture. They don't develop the Word of God. They just kind of throw out some ideas that are intended to pump people up so that they'll live a better life. And, and I'm, not, I'm not clear whether the person's a believer, and I'm not trying to go there at all. But sometimes the church who has believers in it gets a hold of ideas that just sound intriguing about how to become a better you. And, and it's not about biblically how to become a God-glorifying individual. It's, it's about how to become a better you. And so I, I saw the book in the bookstore the other day and started flipping through it. What was a challenge for me was to find any scriptural references. I was amazed. The scripture references, the few that were in there, were, in, were kind of implied. There was no quotations, and you turn page after page. I did not come across one scripture that was printed on the page with a scripture reference next to it. And I thought, there's no way somebody who's a pastor wrote a book without putting any of the Bible in this. So I looked in the back thinking, there's got to be something in here about Bible passages. Well, there was. They footnote some of the, some of the references that kind of sound like the Bible in the back. And they'll tell you to see this passage or see that passage. But this idea is coming to the church that, you know, you see somebody go from this activity in their life to a, to, to a change that's occurred to them. Now they're in this place, and it's almost like, um, listen, you know, the Bible's, well, some people would argue this point, the Bible's not a diet book. You know, it doesn't go into great detail, although it does explain actually a number of things about eating. Uh, but there's a lot of principles about eating that are in here. But, you know, it's not telling you whether you ought to do the low-carb thing, the low-fat thing. You know, it's kind of, that's not where the Bible's going. So if somebody has those kind of change in your life, hey, I applaud, great. Let's not call that freedom, though. See, because freedom in the Bible is primarily about two things. Freedom in the Bible primarily is about freedom from the punishment of sin and freedom from the tyranny of sin, from its power to dominate and control our lives. See, when you and I start thinking freedom's about um, how to win friends and influence people, how to get a better job, how to lose weight... See, when you open the door to freedom in that category, you open the door to the idea that the, that the truths in those categories are truth. And we start thinking diet plans. I mean, I, I mean, some people will do this. I mean, this may be you, and if it is, uh, you know, just adjust what's needed to be adjusted. If you find some great thing that touches your, your life in a natural way, you know, it's like, I've lost all kinds of weight. That's great. It's exciting. That's not the gospel. And I only said that because I know some people who I've never heard them be excited about the gospel. Well, I've heard them be excited about uh, accomplishing something in the natural or losing some weight. You know, and those are fine things. I mean, if you, you should treat your body a certain way, and that's, that's commendable. But that's not the gospel. And when we start lowering these huge, powerful concepts of freedom, I mean, the principle of sin operating in humanity... That we have the message of freedom. 
I ain't talking about I lost 10 pounds in the last few months. It's great. I'm talking about have been under the thumb of sin, crushing your life. That the Bible says you can know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I don't want to turn this into a diet program. Good ideas out there. Hope they help in all kinds of categories. But they don't qualify for truth, and we're not necessarily talking about the same type of freedom when we look at both of these concepts. But when we come to the Bible, we find these things. And, and here's what's highlighted by Paul. Paul keeps saying in Colossians, it needs to go back to the person. It needs to go back to the person, the person who can set you free. It needs to go back to that person. And the alternatives to that person become philosophy, their ideas of man, their traditions, right? Personal traditions. Oh, I've just always done it this way. Personal traditions creep into our parenting styles, creep into what we've gone after in life. And well, you know, my dad was this, and, and so I, you know, I wanted to be that too. Um, Maybe not be good or bad, but be careful. Traditions don't always have anything to do with freedom. And they may not necessarily be about truth. Self-made religion. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. How many of y'all come from a religious background where that's what you were taught? Can I tell you, that will never produce freedom. I mean, I, this is not my word. It's the Bible's word. They are of no value. Not a little bit of value. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Zero, zip, nada. You come to a church where week in and week out, all you hear about is don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Attend these meetings. Attend that thing. Uh, go and do that religious thing. All for the sake of somehow you get a hold of information, you try and live it out so that you can change your life and become more moral. That's not what the Bible says about freedom. See, freedom is about a person. See, tucked away in these verses, back up in, in, in Colossians 2, verse 9. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay, he's in charge. This person that we're called to, who is the truth, he's in charge. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. See, now there is the key to freedom. You will know the truth. Well, the truth happens to be a person of the person of God who will go to work in you, by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, where there's liberty because of the Spirit, and who will do these things in you. If, if the deeds of the flesh aren't being put to death by the Spirit, you can know all the information you want to know in the world, and you will not be free. Oh, well, I used to do this, and now I do that. That, that just begs that cheap little definition of what freedom is. The ultimate freedom for man is to be able to come out from underneath the tyranny of my own selfishness and, the, and the, the reign of the devil in this world and to freely submit my life wholeheartedly to God to do anything and everything he says in any moment. That's freedom. How many of us are completely free? <laughs> See, when we're battling 
with sin and you know somebody who's living life their own way and you know I used to I used to curse and drink and and run around and 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 now I've cut down on that drinking. I mean, if you knew me years ago, man, I I don't drink half as much as I used to. And you know, I haven't heard a curse word come out of my mouth once. Well, I mean, maybe once in a while, but hardly ever. Don't tell me you can't change. Uh, listen, you just took your bondage and painted it a different color. Oh, but I'm a more moral person. Well, that, that whole passage just here says, well, that's great. Elementary principles of the world. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Good for you. You don't handle that, you don't taste that. But you're not free. Because you are running your own life, your own way. And something just went off in you that you decided, I think I'd like a little more moral color. I'll paint my life a little more morally. I won't speak that way. I'll speak this way. But the problem is it's still I, me, me. I'm still the captain. I'm still in control. And and as long as you are, you're not free. See, the only reason that we get free is because we get in Christ. We get in relationship with Him and the power of God comes in the truth and sets us free. So the message that you and I have is in the gospel. It's not a self-help message. When I hear people, oh, the jacket on this book, uh, you know, I kept the reason why I opened it was because it was it was it was disgusting. It was you know the things that were being said about the book on the jacket were like, please tell me there's something better in here than that. It was it was you being your best you, and, and really the words were kind of being used that way. You being your best you. Well, I'd like to introduce that writer to the doctrine of sin and depravity. Me being my best me? Oh, can you imagine what I'm capable of me being my best me? I'm, I really am needing to die and let him be his best him in me. That's what I'm really needing to become. And the emphasis needs to be on him. Brian Chappell, in a book he wrote called Preaching to a Shifting Culture, he says, the perceived necessity of making Christ integral to all our preaching rises as we consider that no portion of Scripture is rightly interpreted without consideration of how it relates to him. Luke records that on the road to Emmaus, the risen Jesus revealed what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. Christ's own interpretation of all Scripture was that it was always revealing his redemptive work in behalf of his people. Thus, for us to claim any scripture without explaining its connection to Christ's redemption is to fail to say what Jesus said the text meant. When you and I grab or the world grabs, you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. You have done a severe injustice to what that was meant to say. That verse, like every other verse in the Bible, is about Jesus Christ. It's not up for grabs for somebody who's in the world who says, oh, I like the ring of that. It's got a kick and tone to it. You know, that'd make a good bumper sticker. The truth will make you free. Well, do you know what the truth is? Because that statement was made by a person who said, I am the truth. Brian Chappell goes on and says, Paul would write to the Corinthians. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Note that Paul did not say that his purpose was to know nothing but Jesus Christ. What a good example he was. And how good you too will be if you only follow him. 
Paul explicitly makes the atonement, Christ's suffering and dying on our behalf, integral to his message. Who Christ was and what he did is the very core of the truth that will set us free. That leads to our second point. Truth is connected to the concept of salvation. And when you think about this idea that what is truth supposed to be accomplishing here? If God is the center of the universe, if God's the center for our existence, then truth setting us free ultimately would free us toward him, wouldn't it? I mean, God's the gravitational center of all the universe. Everything is supposed to revolve around him. So if I get set free from something, it's going to set me toward him. That's what truth should do if it really is truth. Not truth should not just set me into my own personal orbit where I'm just trying to find truth for the sake of personal wholeness or happiness. But that's philosophically what you encounter when you find truth in the world. What will make you a better person? What will make you more whole? What will make you happy? But the Bible orbits us around God, and therefore, something's got to get us back in relationship with God. And the truth is the truth about the gospel that does exactly that. John 14, 6, again. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So here's an interesting thing. Jesus proclaims that he's the truth. And then he says, no one comes to the Father but through me, through the truth. So when you get involved in truth, ultimately truth has a destination. Back to the Father. That's where truth goes. When you get in touch with information out there that brings a person in touch with self-actualization, trying to be a better person, trying to find answers in their past, none of those things are restoring a person to the Father. So I would say, you might not agree, but I would say they don't qualify for truth because truth brings us back to the father that's the whole purpose of it it's restorative second timothy chapter 2 verse 24 the lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome but be kind to all able to teach patient when wronged with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps god may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth so that's where repentance brings us. It doesn't bring us into a knowledge of ourselves or our ideas. It brings us into knowledge of the truth and the one who is the truth. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So for any of us to be saved, we have to come into the knowledge of the truth. In this sense, it matters what we believe. Repentance is towards the truth. Belief has to be in the truth and not just in what we feel or what society promotes or in the vague spirituality that's a part of the landscape of our lives today. Repentance towards the truth brings salvation. Brian Chapel again says the reason that Christ must be in our preaching is not simply because his name communicates some magic privilege to those who providentially hear it but because the substance of the message is necessary for salvation from personal sin. We must recognize that no message has any eternal efficacy if it does not also provide rescue from the effects of sin that separate persons from God. 
So that's ultimately what's, what truth has to accomplish is it's got to put us back in relationship with God. And so therefore, biblical truth is not like the world's truth. And the third point, truth is connected to the way we live our lives. And this only makes sense, doesn't it? If truth restores my relationship with God and it introduces me to the gospel and the person of Christ becomes the dominant person of the landscape of my life, then the way I live my life is going to be affected by truth. It just it's a given. We're changed. And then Paul highlights this in first Timothy, chapter three, he says, I'm writing these things so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. How do you live this life? How do, how do you and I go about doing this thing? Well, you and I are going to live out of out of a bunch of ideas that are in our heads. We're going to get information and ideas from somewhere and then. We're going to seek to live it out. And Paul says, you're the pillar and support of the truth. You need to live your life out of the truth. And I'm writing this to you so you'll know how to behave. Now, I say this from observation, and maybe many of you would agree with this. There are many Christians today who hold out that the Bible is important, that it's the word of God, that they believe what it says. But when you observe the patterns of living in their lives you find that they're living their life out of their own ideas that have a little bit of biblical tone given to them. And today, you know, if I picked on a few categories, let me pick on the, we have a lot of young people. This is an issue we've been talking about, how to better serve the church and helping them identify. How do you get from being a single person to being a married person? How do you get from single Maybe interested, maybe not. Married, you're the one. How does one venture here? Well, the world has created this system called dating. Dating means a hundred different things to a hundred different people. But dating has some ideas to it. And though the Bible does not spell out details, the Bible gives principles of wisdom. The Bible gives truth that we need to be aware of. But we live in a society today that already has a method so when you come and you get born and you're in this world and you get to that point in life where you want to think about getting married one day, or actually most people don't think about getting married. They just think about there's the opposite sex out there. Somehow I need to relate to them. There's this thing called dating. It has all kinds of rules already. They're, they're kind of like written somewhere. No one knows where they are, but they're written. It's how you do it. It's got head games associated with it. It's got, you know, you write a little note. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. Everybody knows to do this stuff. So it must be written down somewhere. But you and I don't stop as biblical people with the mandate on our lives to be pillars and supports of the truth and consider, are we promoting biblical ideas when we appropriate those ideas from the world in this particular area, in dating, for instance? Now, this is, this is I'm going to try and put a, a bad face on this. Actually, I'm going to try and put a truthful face on it. Uh, we live in a society where it's not common for you to to date around before you finally marry. When I was doing youth ministry, the picture that the Lord had given me to, to that was the Whitman's sampler box. You know, the little Whitman candies that you get. They're in the little thing. They're chocolate coated secret candy. No one knows exactly what they are. And so you open them up and you begin shopping for the one that you like. 
And so you reach down and you grab this one, you squeeze it because you don't want ones that can cave in. They got stuff in them you don't like. So you squeeze that one and you put that one back. This one doesn't squeeze, but so you don't know quite what's in there. So you take a bite of that one. <clears throat> you put that one back. You go to the next one. This one, oh, that one tastes pretty good. So you eat on that one for a while, but you're still thinking there's a better one in there somewhere. And so you're going to put that one back too and go after it. And then finally you find the one you like the best and you eat all those in the box. And turn them over to the next person. And then they kind of have that, that wasteland looking thing happening there with the things that are turned over and stuff, the little cups. Well, this is how people do dating. And you and I, you know, it's like, yeah, so? Well, you know, when you put it in the category of somebody's going to come to your life let me make it a little more personal. Someone's going to come to your son or daughter's life. You're going to pick them up and squeeze them. As a dad, I ain't interested in that happening. There's going to be no squeezing going on with this Whitman box, okay? I'm not interested in my son or daughter uh, having the, uh, uh, you, uh, it's kind of a done to them. I'm definitely not interested in some chump thinking that, my, my daughter is worth chewing on for a little while. But ultimately, she ain't the one. I'm holding out for something better than her. You know, if you're in the church and you're my daughter's age, you're going to take your life in your hands. You pull that with my okay? I will step down as pastor momentarily, kill you, and then... <laughs> uh, but I know that that's how we do this thing. And... It's, it's full of problems. It's full of, it's, it's, it doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to beat up. It leads to that box looking like, ooh, you got, look like you got spit out. You look like you got stepped on. You look like this is a mess. This thing is a mess. But since that's just the way people do, they date around and date around and date around, and finally they decide, oh, you're the one I'm going to marry. Which, by the way, you're in horrible shape to really honor that commitment at that point because you've trained yourself to be a Whitman sampler. You know, what happens when that one no longer tastes the way you wanted it to? You'll go look for more candy. And you've taught yourself to do that. This process is a foolish process. Now, let me make it a little bit more obnoxious. Um, let's, let's suppose for a moment, this is not the case for my wife. Let's suppose, um, let's suppose my wife had dated some of the men that were here in this church before she and I were married. I could legitimately stand up, depending on how the dating was done, but if it was done the way the world does it, I could legitimately stand in front of this church and say, some of you men have had your hands on my wife. Some of you men have been intimate with my wife. Oh, well, y'all weren't married yet. So, you know what God was preparing her for? Me, pal. Wasn't preparing her for you. was preparing her for me, Mr. Whitman Sampler. <laughs> Some of you guys here, some of y'all are the <clears throat> people. I mean, you've been spit out. You feel great, don't you? And you love going through those dating years, being the ugly duckling and the one that got used, the one that got spit out. Wasn't that just a great idea? Didn't that just deposit great stuff in you? It's a wise way to do it, isn't it? You know, and you know, depending on who your wife is, and this isn't true in this place either, maybe I've had my hands all over your wife before she was your wife. You know, when you say it that way, it's kind of like, whoa, well, you know, there's something wrong with that. You know, that's my wife you're talking about. 
well, well, you know, but, you know, you didn't have draft rights over at that point. So I just thought I'd help myself. Not for permanently, understand. I thought someday, at some point, somebody's going to inherit her. But you know, I just kind of wanted to get something out of it for a while. I knew I wasn't going to marry her or anything. And so she's kind of partially used product. Here, you go ahead and marry her. And I'll go grab one that somebody else has chewed on already, too. And I'll marry her. You know, when you say it that way, doesn't it just sound stupid to do dating the way it's done? But yet God has principles in place because he, he wants us to be free. Free from the regret. Free from getting too close to somebody that you never should have got that close to, who was not going to be committed to you because they didn't have God's kind of love for you in that unique relationship that God had designed for that person to experience and receive. So you got used, spit up, squeezed, spit out. And what good was it? But in our country, well, that's just, that's just dating. That's just part of the bumps on the highway. Well, how many things do you want in your life in that kind of a category? You know, we talked about giving a few weeks ago. Do we want the truth of God when it comes to giving? Or do we want our man-made ideas, our man-made traditions? Well, you know, I mean, I grew up going to church. Just, you know, you flip ten bucks in the plate, and that's just what you did. And I appreciate that you got some different thoughts, Keith. But, you know, that's just, that's just what I've always done. Yeah, I, I want to I be properly frightened by the Scriptures when they speak to me. Be careful that none of you are taken captive by philosophy and man-made traditions and religion that is man-made as well. Be careful that none of you get taken captive. You know what? If God has taught us how to give, that's the truth. The truth sets us free. What does the other category do? It brings us into captivity. I would tell you right now, absolutely. If you're not giving biblically, you are already in captivity. You can't get released from your money a certain way. You can't get released from your life. It's controlling you in such a way that you can't give. That's bondage. And God wants you to be free. He wants you to have money, but he wants you to be free. As a matter of fact, some folks, God unbelievably blesses them. More and more and more come into their life. Some people have a giving, gracious, giving heart that they don't get bound up in it. They're able to give it away. God gives more. Give it away more. God brings more. Give more and more away. That person's able to be free to be able to receive more from God. Rather than living in fear of, am I going to have enough? Or, well, I'm going to need that. I'm trying to get that and all bound up. That just leads to bondage. But we have a God who's given us truth because he wants us to be free. And he wants the church to be the promoters of those things that are true. Now, let me just draw some quick thought here. We must determine what information source will have the final say-so over our decisions, goals, and personal ideas. What information is going to have the final say-so over how we're living? You know, Colossians presents to us a couple of categories. There's the person of truth who has revealed truth in his word. Right? Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So we have uh, the Word of God who became flesh, who is recorded for us in a living way. This is the living Word that's given to us. And over and against that, we have man-made traditions. We have worldly philosophies that are available on, on every commercial that comes on TV that are being promoted by the person down the street, how they live, what they find valuable. Uh, today, there is a, a, a little undercurrent of, of pop psychology 
all over the place. It used to be that it was very obvious. It used to be that if you were a psychology promoter, you had a title, you had stuff behind your name, et cetera, et cetera. Now you have talk shows, uh, you're on the radio, you are talking about life, how to live life, what politics matter because of the way life ought to be, uh, how to solve your problems, write a book, self-help, do this, watch my program. Next week, we're going to have this guest on. We're going to talk about these things. We're going to have this person on who had this happen to them in their life. You know, what are they doing? They're trying to teach people how to be free. You know what you don't find from many of these, quote, talk show people? Is them having people on with problems and they just kind of go, I have no idea. I don't know. Can't help you. Any of the audience members got a suggestion? We're clueless. You know, you know, there's ideas being promoted here. We'll have a specialist come on. If the host can't give his opinion, which they always do, they do in the selection of their panelists, by the way. They select certain folks to come on and promote certain ideas. Well, you know, all this is is psychology reorganized. Now, here's where my concern would be about psychology. Psychology, to me, would be what the Bible spoke of over and over again about philosophy. Back then you had philosophers, today you have psychologists, people who are writing and, and embarking on ideas in, in uh, psychology. Psychology, the word actually comes from the Greek word suke, which means the soul of man. So ultimately what psychology wants to do is to set the soul free, it wants to liberate the soul from stuff in life. It's a great intention. But when I read the Bible, I find out that it's the truth that sets us free. And if I study the truth, I find out that truth is about a person. Truth is about God. Truth is about God teaching us that he's the center of the universe, not us. And that our greatest need is to be restored to him. And that can only happen through the gospel. That's what truth is ultimately about. And so any other ideas that are being presented that don't have that in it, do you really want to submit your lives to that? When somebody presents some self-help idea that doesn't have God in the equation, it doesn't have redemption in its view, are we talking about the truth? I would say no. Maybe talking about some emotional ideas. You may be talking about something that sounds appealing. But truth has borders on it. Truth is about the person of Christ. Because truth is the person of Christ. And there is no freedom, ultimately, without Him. You might change the color paint on your life, but you're not going to be free from the punishment of sin or the tyranny of sin in your life apart from the person of Christ. And th this is the message that the church has to live out and to give away to others. And there's warning after warning that the church needs to pay, make sure we pay careful attention to about alternatives that will come to us. Second Timothy chapter three. Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. If I just stop right there, and I didn't go into some of the other ones that sound more vicious, abusive, uh, heartless, slanderous, brutal. What about just lovers of self? What do we just say? That's the, the Bible declares that there's coming a time where people will be lovers of self. You know, that, that description describes a lot of ideas out there. It's, it's philosophical, it's psychological about how you can become a better you for your own reasons. That's lovers of self. 
So in all this description, it goes on disobedient parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. (coughs) Avoid them. Because their philosophy comes out of all that description. A lover of self has a philosophy that allows you to love yourself. And so if I'm subscribing to those ideas, I'm not subscribing to somebody who ultimately realizes truth points back to the Father. Truth points to restoration to God. Truth points to bringing glory to God. Truth is about the person of Christ. I'm not going to hear that from a lover of self. And so I need to be very careful about who I associate my life with. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. These aren't idiots. These are some very smart people who can't seem to arrive at a knowledge of the truth that are promoting ideas and books Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth in very nice clothing. Men corrupted in mind and, listen, disqualified regarding the faith. Disqualified regarding the faith. That is an incredibly important little phrase. For anybody that you turn your ear to, to allow them to speak as an authority into your life about issues that touch your soul... Are they disqualified about the faith? Where did I read that? Disqualified regarding the faith. You know, Oprah's a nice lady. But Oprah, from anything I've ever heard her say, has an idea about God that disqualifies her regarding the faith. Rush Limbaugh has great political analysis. But I've never heard Rush declare the gospel. He would be a man, as far as I can tell, don't know him personally, but from anything he said publicly that I've ever heard, who would be disqualified regarding the faith. So does that mean we don't listen to these people at all? No. I would say this. It means I let that information into my head, but I don't let it into my heart. And that's an important differentiation. When I go to live my life, I live my life out of my heart. I might find it entertaining to listen to somebody's political views, but I want to be very careful that that's not the stuff that's making up what's in here. I need to get truth from God in my heart. And, you know, let me close with this. Matt, go ahead and come up. When we come to this passage that Paul has mentioned, 1 Timothy 3, writing these things that you will know how one ought to behave in the church, which is the pillar and support of the truth. Ultimately, this responsibility to support the truth, it belongs to the church. See, God is interested in freedom for people, but freedom ultimately is about the person of Christ and the gospel of Christ. And so what the church is to uphold is not pragmatic psychology based ideas. Things that well that seemed to work for that person, that seemed to help that person. 
but it didn't set them free from the punishment of their sin. And it does not release them from the dominance of the principle of sin that operates in their flesh. That can only happen when they are crucified with Christ and the old man is put to death. There's no information out there that can accomplish that. There's only a person who can accomplish that. And he happens to be the truth. So our freedom comes through him, through what he says, yes, but through him and the spirit who brings that liberty to our lives. You and I all have this responsibility. This is where the church needs to be restored. The message for our lives needs to be the truth. That's what we are. We are pillars and support of the truth. Paul said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. What, what a mandate is on our lives. That we must know the truth and be convinced of the truth. So much so that we live our lives based on it. Not on some frivolous ideas that the world shouldn't look on and watch the church date, for instance, the way the world does. Because they don't learn truth when they do. They shouldn't watch us handle money the way the world does. Because they don't learn truth from us when they do. And you and I, we're the pillars in support of the truth. We, we uphold the truth of God revealed in Christ to a world that that's the only hope they're ever going to have to be set free. And if all you and I do in people's lives is change the color paint on their lives so they can stay in bondage to sin and one day face the penalty for their sin, we've not set anybody free in all that we've said to them and all we've done. Let me close with Albert Barnes' thoughts. Thus it is with the church. It is entrusted with the business of maintaining the truth, of defending it from the assaults of error and of transmitting it to future times. The truth is, in fact, upheld in the world by the church. The people of the world feel no interest in defending it. And it is to the church of Christ that it is owing, that it is preserved and transmitted from age to age. The meaning then is that the stability of the truth on earth is dependent on the church. You know, I need to love this word. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. You and I must love this word and know it and be convinced of it and live it and not be caught up in a culture that has all kinds of other ideas that Paul warns. It leads to captivity. Don't, don't let the church be captive and don't let us become promoters of ideas that bring captivity rather than bringing freedom that we really want to bring to folks. Let's stand up together. Lord, this morning, what may be more real to us than the truth may be our need for freedom. Or perhaps in this room, there are folks here whose life experience has created a sense of captivity for them, their past, their relationships. The way they think, the way they feel about themselves. 
Lord, all these things can lock us in a prison cell. And Lord, what we become aware of is I just I just want to be free from all this. I want to know what it is to wake up in the morning without a lump in my throat. To walk into a meeting or into a setting or into a job without my stomach turning in knots. To be in a relationship without fear. To live amongst people without insecurity and jealousies and strife. Lord, maybe we're much more in touch with those feelings and experiences than we are with the fact that it's the truth that sets us free. And Lord, thank you that as we look in your word, the truth isn't a formula that if we'll just memorize a few words and get it down, then memorizing a few words will set us free. No, Lord, you have revealed that the truth is a person. The living and abiding word of God. And you have allowed us to have a written word in order to know the living word. And in our relationship with you, it is our relating to you that brings freedom. It is the presence of your spirit in our life. It is you making real these truths in our lives. That release us from wrong thinking. Selfish intentions. Self-focus. So, Father, I pray right now throughout this building, you would touch our hearts to make us to realize how are we doing relating to you? Do we know you in such a way that we are being freed? Or perhaps do we just know some things about you? If you head bowed and pray and just want to ask you, maybe you're here this morning and religion for you has been about information. You, you know a lot of things about God. You know some things about the Bible. You could even quote it. You knew the Bible said the truth will make you free. But you're here this morning very much in touch with issues in your life that you're not free from. And what the Lord, I think, wants to tell you is, do you know him? He doesn't just want you to attend church. He doesn't just want you to embrace some ideas. He wants you to hear him say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke on you and learn of me and you will find rest for your soul. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you have a relationship with Christ, even if you know about him, even if you've been involved in religion and been in churches. But you're not sure about having a relationship with Christ. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if your desire is to to say yes to a relationship to Christ, yes to the one who is the truth so that you can experience freedom in your life. Well, then you pray this prayer with me. And the God who is the truth. Will respond to your prayer will begin to relate to you and he will begin to set you free. So pray this with me if that's your desire. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. I believe that you came as a man. I believe that you died on a cross 
so that my sins could be forgiven. This morning I ask you to forgive me for not trusting you. But this morning I reach out to you by faith and I believe in you. And I ask you who are the truth to come into my life and set me free. Set me free from my past. Set me free from the wounds. Set me free from disappointment. But come lead my life from this day forward. Bring me into freedom as you had intended me to experience. But from now on, I surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you did that this morning, then before you is, is a path into freedom. Because there's a God who now is not just ideas that you take in your own power and try and pull them off. It's a relationship with a God who has come to live in you. And that word that is the truth is now in you to make you free. If you're here this morning and, and you prayed that prayer and that was the first time you did that, I want to be able to encourage you to take some steps that the Lord wants you to stay, take from now on. So could I ask you to do this? If just wave at me if you prayed that prayer for the first time so I can maybe just visit with you just for a second. If you prayed that for the first time. Let me ask you if, you, if you would do this, if you prayed that prayer, if you raised your hand or not, you just come visit with me. Just stand right up here for a few moments. You just come visit with me for a moment. Um, I just want to be able to help you get going in relating to this God who so much wants you to experience the freedom that he has for you. Amen. All right. You guys will see you either tonight or tomorrow night. Invite me.